Jesus as a friend, and I hope you are too. And uh, so thankful how uh, God speaks to us through music. Um, music has always been an important part of uh, God's people's worship and uh, life. And we read through the, the Old Testament and we find um, even David uh, playing harps and uh, singing praises before the Lord and dancing before the Lord. And uh, so thankful for uh, God's love and mercy to us. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to James, a uh, little letter back. Uh, toward the end of the New Testament, right after Hebrews. Um, we, uh, for the last few weeks, have been in a series on the Bible. Uh, the Bible should, and I hope, uh, is important to you. I hope you have one. But I hope you just don't have one. I hope you read it. And think about it and live it. Uh, as we've been talking, and, and we'll really focus in on this morning that God's Word and our study of it is useless if we don't live it out. If we just, you know, I know lost people that have a lot of Scripture memorized. It's good to memorize Scripture, and it's good to think about Scripture. But if you don't live it, it doesn't, having it memorized doesn't do you one bit of good. And so we have to live it. I found a little um, thing about uh, the Bible, and I want to share it with you this morning. It says, I wonder what would happen if we treated our Bible like we treat our cell phones. Now, we all have a cell phone. Probably your Bible is on it, and maybe you're using it this morning uh, here at church. Uh, what if we carried it around in our purses or pockets? What if we turned back to get it when we forgot it? What if we flipped through it several times a day? What if we used it to receive messages from the text? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? What if we gave it to kids as gifts? What if we used it as we traveled? What if we used it in case of emergency? What if we upgraded it to the latest version? One more thing. Unlike our cell phone, you'll never have to worry about your Bible being disconnected because Jesus already paid the bill. Oh, that was really good. Uh, and I want to share that with you. And we'll, uh, I think I'm going to send it to Allison and see if she can put it up on our Facebook for us. Um, I, I thought that was really good and, and just kind of a... A little reminder to us, what, you know, what if we did treat our Bible like we treat our cell phone? Our cell phones are, I mean, they're important to, to most of us. We, we use them every day, and you know, I keep my calendar in mine, and I have lots of things on uh, my addresses and contacts and email and everything like that are on my phone. Um, you know, most of us, we do our banking on the phone, we can order food on the phone, we tells us where to go, you know, how to get there on our phone. So it does lots of things for us. But can I tell you that God's Word can do a lot more for you. It ought to be a lot more important to you uh, in your life. Uh, and so James addresses that, and we're going to begin reading in verse 19. 
uh, of James chapter 1 this morning. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James here really... uh, wraps up for and tells us, hey, listen, the Bible is important in how you live, and it's not just hearing the Word. You're hearing it this morning. At least I hope you're hearing it. If you're not, turn the batteries in your hearing aid. You know, turn the volume up in the hearing aid. So you're hearing it, but listen, if we don't do it, if we don't do what it says, then hearing sermons is useless. doesn't do us any good, but can I tell you that anytime we gather around God's Word, whether it's privately uh, through the week or corporately together uh, as we gather for uh, worship and Bible study on Wednesday night and on Sunday, we ought to come expecting God to speak to us through His Word. And when He speaks to us, we ought to say, you know what, God's going to give me Maybe it's a truth that I need to hold. Maybe it's an action that I need to do. Maybe it's an action that I need to stop doing. But every time we approach God's Word, we need to come that way. and We need to say, God, speak to me. And guess what? He wants to, and He does. The problem is, most of the time we don't listen. Because we don't want to hear what He has to say because we know it's going to you know, be inconvenient, or it might be uncomfortable uh, in some way. But God's direction to us is always best, and it's always for our own good, uh, and it always ultimately leads to our holiness and sanctification. Uh, And so God leads us along. Um, And so there's a few things we find here from James in his little introduction to Uh, this letter that he writes, and the first is this, that we need to understand something, church, that our only righteousness is in Christ. James wants you to understand, first of all, he is not talking about, hey, listen, you know what, work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying. 
James does not teach that. Paul does not teach that. Nowhere in the Bible does God teach that we have to earn our salvation. Rather, what the Bible says from the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that our salvation comes by what? By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is not about religion. It is about a relationship. God wants to know you. And he does know you, but more importantly, perhaps, he wants you to know him. He knows all about you. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that the Father knows the very number of hairs that are on your head. And not one falls out that he doesn't know about. God loves you and is concerned for you and... and wants you to know him. But the question is, do you know him? Now, James wants us to understand that, listen, it is not by doing anything that we earn salvation, but rather what he is saying in the whole purpose of this whole letter is this, that if Christ's righteousness lives inside of your life and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it shows in the way that you live your life. The things that you do reflect whether you have a relationship with God or you don't. And it reflects who's in charge in your life. If God is in charge of your life, there'll be some things that you will not do and places you will not go and things you will not say. And on the positive spin, if, if God is the Lord of your life, there are some places you will go. And there are some things you will do. And there are some words that you will say. And by your actions, you'll show that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. That his righteousness has been applied to your life and you're trying with his help, because we can't do it on our own. But guess what? With his help, we can. God never asks us to do something that we can't do. We've got uh, our kid here this morning. We've got uh, Colby. He's six. He turned six a few weeks ago. Uh, he's good side, but I bet he's got some muscles. But we're probably not going to ask Colby to uh, get that big, heavy trash can and wheel it to the curb. Not because he wouldn't, but because he can't. The trash can is twice as big as he is. He wouldn't, be, he, he wouldn't be able to get up to pull it down, and then it's heavy. But guess what? His daddy, he's strong, and he's big. And so guess what? He can pull the trash can, and guess what? Colby can help Dad do it. But Colby can't do it by himself. And here's the thing, and here's the point. You can't be a doer of the word by yourself. You can't do it. But with big brother Jesus on your side and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you and God can do it together. 
And so we need to understand that as we look uh, and talk about the rest of the things we're going to talk about this morning is that our only righteousness and our only ability to be righteous is in Christ. And our righteousness in Him comes by not by doing, but by faith. But because we have put our faith in Jesus, there are some works that are evidence of that. There's things you can look at. I've used John and Colby as an example. You can look at those two fellows, and for better or worse, you can tell they related. Because they look like one another. And the thing is this. James is going to say, listen, if you belong to God, He's not saying you're going to become God. But what James does say is you can look like him. And so the question is, hey, do you look like Jesus? If you belong to him and if you're living for him, you should. And the reality is, and the Bible teaches us this, that the more we walk with Jesus and the closer we walk with him and the more we walk with him, guess what happens? the more we look like him. You see, friend, you're, we, we are saved at the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and you're as saved as you're ever going to be at that moment. But here's the thing. You're not as godly as you're supposed to be at that moment. You grow in that. And you won't reach that point of perfection until you get to heaven. And God strips away this old sinful body and it stays here and put in a box and buried under some dirt. But when we leave this world, we go to the next. And that's what we were made for, really. We are made for eternity. And what we do here with God's Word determines what's going to happen in eternity in the next life. And so we need to have that foundation. But secondly, as we move on, I want us to see this, that you know, our only righteousness is in Christ. In other words, it's in Christ, in Christ alone. But here's the thing. Christ uses his word to rebuild his people. You see, God created us to know him and to love him, to have a relationship with him, but because of the curse of sin that came by Adam and Eve and has been troubling humankind ever since, that relationship is broken. But there's something within every human being that knows there's got to be something more. There's something out there because God created us. He created us with a God-sized hole. In other words, there's a hole in every human being and the only thing that can fill it is God himself. Guess what? When we know God, and he comes and he fills that hole, then we're complete. We're as he intends for us to be. But sin has broken us, and it's broken our world. And so guess what James is saying? He says, you know what? As Christ is in you, and Christ is working in you, Christ wants to use you to not only rebuild you, but rebuild his kingdom. 
And so as he's rebuilding you, part of that rebuilding process is going out and telling others about, hey, listen, I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I hear. And let me tell you about this man that made that happen. His name is Jesus. And friend, he can do the same for you. So he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And how does God do that? Well, he tells us. He says, listen, you know, wickedness and anger and the things, that, that doesn't build anybody up. That doesn't accomplish the things of God. But doing God's will does. Well, how do we know what God's will is? Right here in this book. It gives us a, a road map and a recipe. And then God is working in conjunction with his word. And, and so he says, hey, listen, you, instead of you know, taking the, the, the craziness and the things of this world, instead, grab a part, receive with meekness, with humbleness, the implanted word. And I want to suggest to you this morning that James is using that term in two different ways. The Gospel of John, how is Jesus referred to in chapter 1? As the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Greek word logos. And it's used in different ways, and it is applied in the New Testament to Jesus Christ. And I think that's one way that he intends to imply it. It is because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary that we can have new life, that we can be put back together and made new again. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Isn't that great to know that God wants to rebuild us? But the second way, not only is the word used to refer to Jesus, the word is used to refer to this, to the Bible. And I don't think it's a misappropriation of Scripture to say that James intends this double meaning. That he does intend for us to understand that Jesus is the one that's rebuilding us. And repurposing, making us into what we need to be. But I think he also intends for us to understand that it's God's word. That God uses as a primary instrument in that rebuilding and the remanufacturing process. Yes, it's centered in Christ, and it's because of what Christ did for us. But you know what? As you read God's Word, not just James' letter, but as you read throughout the, the week, and I hope you do, as you read and as you study and as you think about the Scriptures, and then guess what? As you live them out, it will change your life. You will be different. There's supposed to be something 
different about God's people. And there's two things that make us different. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God lives within us. Our life has been changed and we've been made new. But then we also are people of the book. That God is, as we are studying God's word, God is working to change our mind about some things. And some things we thought were okay, when God's word comes at and it says, you know what? This is not okay. That confronts us with the choice. It says, I either have to do what tradition says and what's politically correct or what's popular in culture, what's socially acceptable, or I have to do what God's word says. Well, can I tell you the best choice and what the right answer always is? The right answer is always what God's word says. Not what the preacher says, not what the Sunday school teacher says, and not what you think God's word ought to say. But what God's word says. And so when uh, uh, culture says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter uh, if you're married or not, uh, if, you know, if somebody has something and you want it, go and take it. That's what culture says. And sometimes there's not any consequences to it. But what does God's word say? God's word says, you know, thief, you know, if uh, your hand leads you to steal, cut it off. Now, I'm not ta- I don't think Jesus means that quite literally. But he does mean, listen. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what's okay according to man's law. You live by God's word. And so James here tells us, he says, listen, you understand that you are being rebuilt. You're being rebuilt by Christ and you're being rebuilt to be in his image. That's what God's purpose for our life, we are supposed to be in this world, our purpose and our journey of faith is to be made to look like Jesus. And one of the primary tools that God uses to do that is His Word. He guides us and He directs us, and He, you know, we all we could spend hours this morning. Uh, into the afternoon sharing stories of how God has used his word to direct our paths at various times in our life. God will never ask you to do anything contrary to his word. But guess what? If you don't know God's word, how are you going to know if it's contrary to it or not? And so we need to be people that study God's word and understand that God is working this process of rebuilding us. Yes, we are made new or new and wonderful, beautiful creatures. We're God's masterpiece. But God is working on us to make us what we ought to be. And through that process of becoming what we ought to be, God uses His Word. But if God's Word is shut up on our phone and we never open that Bible app, or it's in a Bible that's actually a Bible, you know, the book and we leave it sitting on the coffee table, or we leave it uh, stuck on a shelf somewhere, is it doing what it's supposed to? 
No. Is it changing us? No, because we're not doing it. We can't do it if we don't read it and we don't learn from it. Now, kids have gone back to school, and guess what? The subject I always hated in in school um, was math. I hated math. Uh, I'm still not all that great with math. I have to, when I, sometimes if I go and I have a lot of checks or something at the bank, I always tell the teller, check my math, make sure I, I did it right, because I don't, now if I just have one check, that's easy, you know, enough to do, but I always say, check my math. And, you know, sometimes it's not right, because I've not done, but you know what, you have to know your addition before you can learn division and multiplication. And you have to know addition and subtraction and multiplication and division before you can do algebra. If you haven't learned that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you're never going to figure out that A squared plus B squared equals C squared, you know, pi or whatever it is. Uh, I don't, you know, that, uh, oh my goodness, that uh, uh, Pythagorean theorem, if you remember algebra, that, mm. I tell you, and then uh, I'll just tell you a little side story to algebra. And um, if, if you haven't been in algebra, so your kids won't understand this, but what destroyed my world, what made it so hard for me uh, to pass college algebra was I. This little imaginary number, I, I, I still don't really understand it. And so I flunked that whole section of, that we talked about I for like three weeks. I'm like, what on earth? It's an imaginary number. How can you, but, you know, they... I'm still not exactly sure how it all falls into things. Holly can probably explain it to me easier than the crazy math professor that I had. I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so, uh, but you have to understand the basics, and you have to learn the basics, and you have to be able to work the basics out before you can advance. Can I tell you the same is true in your relationship with Christ? The basics are salvation, trusting in him, and making that declaration public. But if that's all the farther a person goes, have they matured and become the follower that Jesus intends for them to be? No. We've got lots of kids here, and I'm thankful for the kids we have in church. Thankful for the little baby we have in the nursery. But guess what? There's a problem if uh, Spencer Joy, she's, she's cute and cuddly now, and we can hold her. But if she's eight or nine, and we can still hold her without it being too heavy, guess what? There's a problem. Something's not right. But you know what? There's a lot of Christians that they stay baby Christians. And can I tell you that God doesn't intend anybody to stay a baby in physically or spiritually? You know, right now, Spencer Joy loves formula, and she, she loves that milk. But can I tell you what? Once she, you know, finishes getting her tea, she's going to find out chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A are pretty darn good. Oh, she already, see, she already knows. Yeah, didn't take long. And much better than milk and that nasty baby cereal that, you know, they, although I haven't seen that, in the, maybe they don't have that no more, um, that Gerber cereal. Ugh. It smells bad, and I'm sure it tastes as bad as it smells. 
Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just free information for you all today. But God does not intend for you to remain a spiritual infant. He intends for you to grow into healthy adulthood. Well, how do you do it? When you, a child wants to grow, you know what? They eat, the, drink their milk, and they eat their vegetables, and they eat healthy, balanced meals, and they get plenty of sleep, and they brush their teeth every night, and all those can take a bath every once in a while. And they grow up healthy. Well, the same is true in our spiritual walk. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But in our spiritual walk, if we want to grow from infancy into maturity, it's not only just knowing God's Word and reading it, but doing it. And the more we do it, the stronger we get and the more mature we get. Perhaps you're like, I've known some 50 and 60 year old babies. And that's not what God intends for our lives to be. God intends for us to grow in maturity. And the way that happens is we digest and live out God's word. Because if you're after religion, yeah, you'll read the Bible. You'll make a check mark. Yeah, I did my Bible reading today. Hey, good. And they'll say, yeah, you're a religious person. Guess what? Religion ain't going to do you much good in life or in eternity. But what will do you good in this life and in eternity is if you have a relationship with God and you take God's word and you heed it and you apply it to your life. You remember last week we looked in Deuteronomy and what did uh, Moses say in Deuteronomy? God gave the instruction, talk about everywhere you go, you talk about God's word and what God has done. And you remember and talk about the scriptures. And you put the scriptures on your doorpost at home. You put them on your, around your hands. You put them before your eyes so that the scripture is always before you. Why did he say that? Because scripture will help you grow into a, a, adulthood. And as we close up this morning, not only is our righteousness in Christ, James wants us to understand that, and he wants us to understand that Christ uses his word, to rebuild us. He also wants us to lastly understand that the rebuilt church reflects its relationship with Christ. In other words, if your relationship with Christ is growing and you're becoming an adult, in other words, you're growing from formula to steak and baked potatoes in your walk with Christ, it is evident in your life. As we grow and we, we become stronger and we become healthier in, in the Lord, God is able to use us more and more to accomplish His tasks. And you know what? That's not a burden. Some people say, well, I, I don't want to go to church because I know if I go to church, God's going to ask me to do something. or you know, I'm gonna have... it, It's not a burden to serve the Lord. It's not a burden to do something for the Lord if you're growing in Him. But you know what? If you're anemic, it is a burden. And there are a lot of people that walk around as anemic or baby-like in their faith. And God doesn't want that. God wants you to be strong and healthy. And the secret to being a strong and healthy, maturing Christian is this. Doing it.
Just do it. You know, it's not just a Nike slogan. It, it's part of God's recipe for being what He wants you to be, is do it. Not just hear it and say, oh, that was a great sermon, preacher. But do it. And so when you read God's Word and you open it and it says, hey, listen, I want you to you know, care for orphans and widows. And, and this is what James said. This is how you really know that you have a relationship with God. You care about people nobody else cares about. And that's why he picked up orphans and widows. He said, you, you, if you know Jesus and you're growing and you're reading God's Word and you're applying it to your life, you're going to love and you're going to minister to others and you're going to be drawn to people that nobody else wants to be around. And that society is cast away and, and just left as useless. Because here's the thing, no matter how useless society says a person is, in the hand of an almighty, redeeming God, God can take what the world thinks is useless and make it into something beautiful and something good and something useful. And the truth of the matter is, He did that for me. I hope He did it for you. And since He did it for me, I know that it's true. And if He's done it for you, you know that it's true. But can I tell you, there are a lot of folks that don't know that truth. And they need to. And they need you to live it out before them so that they can receive it. We all know it doesn't really matter. People don't care what you say. But they'll remember how you make them feel and what you do for them. If you say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and you know I, I love my church and I'd love for you to come, but you're not involved in church and you don't come to church yourself, guess what? That neighbor you invited to church, they know if your car is in the driveway on Sunday morning or if it's not. And if they say, well, you know what, that's so, so, you know, they, they say they're going to go to church and they say they're Christian, but you know, they're living like the devil Monday through Saturday. And so why should I even bother investigating that? But the opposite is also true. If they look at you and your life and you're being changed by God's word, they'll see that. And they'll begin to ask questions. And guess what? If you haven't answered those questions for yourself, you're not going to have an answer for them. Where are you going to find those answers? Right here. But if you're not doing what God's Word says, then you're not going to be able to help anybody else do it. So I've got, I'm going to close with another example and then we'll close and wrap up this morning. You know, I backed into the mailbox at home and cracked my tail light. Uh, I bought a new one online. You know, that's what John does. He works for a body shop. And so I didn't try to figure it out myself. You know, I, tried, I asked him, I said, John, how do I do this? And he, he showed me how to do it. I haven't done it yet, but I know how to do it now because John told me how to do it. 
And so when I do it, then guess what? Because I've done it, because somebody taught me how to do it. Then when Miss Holly backs up into and busts her taillight, don't do that though, Miss Holly. You got a long driveway though, so you're really in trouble if you back into your mailbox. Uh, you know what? I could show her. Well, if I hadn't have done it myself and had somebody teach me how to do it, could I have told her how to do it? Nope. The same thing is true with living the Christian life. You can't show somebody else how to do it if you're not doing it first. And so do it. That's God's message to the church today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And Lord, our prayer is, Lord, help us individually and help us as a church not to be hearers only, but help us to be doers. Lord, we want to do kingdom work not just for the sake of doing it, but because we want to be used by you to make a kingdom difference in this place. Lord, help us to have the strength and the wherewithal to do that. Give us a hunger for your word. Help us to live it out, Lord. So that others may see and come to know and their lives may be changed the way you're changing our lives. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.